Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. Today, I'm joined by lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about purchased application data, housing starts, mortgage rates, and more. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by PennyMac TPO. In collaboration with their broker partners, they designed Power Plus, a next-generation broker technology platform that offers a fast, intuitive interface with features and functionalities to empower a best-in-class lending experience. With an enhanced guided workflow, the loan process is more efficient, accurate, manageable, and convenient. The platform speeds up the process at every step, minimizing the time brokers spend on the platform. At PennyMac, being tech-forward and human-focused is why greatness lives here. PennyMac TPO is a division of PennyMac Loan Services, LLC, Equal Housing Lender. NMLS ID 35953. Licensed by the Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. Conditions and restrictions may apply. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. It is great to be here, Sarah. Yes. Okay. We had lots of uh, data come out. Let's talk about purchase application data. Okay. Purchase application data, which is you know the bread and butter of my life uh, with all my housing work going back in the last 10 years, uh, but it also has to be explained very clearly. Um, <clears throat> this data line is now trending negative uh, on trend about 36% on the four-week moving average. One of the things that I've talked about for the past few months is that when we get into October of this year, the year-over-year uh, comps are going to be much more challenging because last year at this time is when mortgage demand picked up noticeably October, November, December. It led existing home sales to uh, have a 6.49 million print in the start of this year. So adjust to that reality, and we should see 35 to 45% year-over-year declines. So far, that's been the case in October. If we got to see more real weakness, like things actually getting worse now that mortgage rates are uh, above 7%, uh, you could see prints between 53 to 57% on a year-over-year decline, adjusting to the comps. Um, if you take the comps away, traditionally, you're probably looking uh, uh, between about 23 to 27% year-over-year declines if, if things were getting weaker. So it looks right to me, and, and, and just some perspective we are already below 2008 levels in purchase application data. We are heading toward 2014 levels, with which was adjusting to population, the uh, lowest levels ever in the index. It's a survey index, so you you have to know that thinking. You have to know that that's the case when you look at this data line. And one of the things that I've always tried to talk about over the years is that when what what does how does inventory grow in America for the existing home sales market? It only really grows through weakness in demand post twenty twelve because the whole inventory channels have been different uh, in America after uh, twenty twelve. So twenty fourteen was actually the last year inventory grew. Uh, purchase application data was down twenty percent on trend year over year. Uh, total inventory actually for the existing home sales market got to 2.3 million. That was a peak at that period of time. Currently, right now, we are at 1.28 million. So uh, still, even with the weakness in demand, even with the hits, 
uh, that's where we are at uh, currently. Inventory is growing on a year-over-year basis through the accumulation of uh, of inventory, inventory through weakness. But as we can see, the new listings data in America really uh, has gone negative after June and hasn't really improved any. If year-to-date, it's actually flat. So uh, that's the marketplace we're in, and that's the best way to kind of look at purchase application data going out to year. Traditionally, we don't have any seasonal demand rise uh, in kind of in the fall and, and, and winter, but we had that happen last year, uh, which was abnormal. Uh, we had it in, in 2020, but that was mostly due to COVID. Uh, actually, it was 100% due to COVID, the COVID recovery. We've, we've, you know, we paused the demand and we just caught up to it. But uh, the comps are just going to be bad all the way out to the rest of the year. So from your perspective, so there's two different things there. You're like, uh, on one hand, the headline number is not as bad as it looks on purchase application data because of the comps of, you know, that crazy year we had. On the other hand, it's the lowest level ever in the survey's history. So how, yeah, how do- we're, we're, it, it's, it's the savagely unhealthy housing thing. Once the 10-year yield broke about 1.94%, 45% mortgage rates knocks the housing market off. It actually didn't create as weak as demand as I thought, but- once we started getting above 5%, 5 to 6% really impacted the data. Um, when mortgage rates went from six and a quarter to 5%, it actually found some stabilization in the data. So that kind of 5% level, uh, you can see stabilized. Now we're <clears throat> above 7%. Whole different ballgame, right? The premise of the savagely unhealthy housing marketing was that prices escalated out of control in 2020, 2021, and early part of 2022. In fact, that the, the premise actually was created because home prices were still accelerating so much in, in February. And when you add mortgage rates together, you have the biggest housing inflationary event ever, right? Because total mortgage payments are historically increasing on a year-over-year basis like we've never seen before. And that's a byproduct of both things happening at once. So uh, once inventory channels got lower, uh, uh, toward the end of last year, it was just a bad recipe for 2022. And then we started the year off way too hot. In fact, my 2022 uh, home price growth is going to be too low because home prices really accelerated until uh, mortgage rates started to rise. And we're not going to end the year off about 5.2% uh, for the year just because of uh, mortgage rates. It's you usually you need about a year or two of weakness to really impact the data. Uh, it's happened at the end of March. So not enough time in the year to get uh, price growth down to what I thought it should be. So maybe the data takes that long, but on the ground, what does it look like? You know, Why are prices not falling when we're seeing all these other things happen? Prices are falling, especially in areas that have 2019 inventory levels. And this is actually like probably the biggest theme of my work with prices is that historically people use like six months of supply to be balanced in the housing market. I, I, I don't agree with that premise. I think four months is the balanced supply. So you, that's how I look at it. But one of the things with prices and inventory, we took such an affordability hit uh, uh, in 2020, 2021, and 2022 that when mortgage rates rise, the impact is, is so much bigger than what it was in 2018 and 19. And the reason I like to use 2018 and 19 is that the growth rate of pricing is falling back then. Real home prices were negative in 2019. We didn't have the affordability issues back then as much as people thought. Here is not the case. So you're definitely seeing uh, uh, price declines in in areas that have 2019 inventory. And then everywhere else, there's not much going on. Uh, So I always say that that, that's why I I try to 
guide people toward 2019 inventory levels because we have historical precedents to show us that the growth rate of pricing can fall. But here you have a bigger, bigger affordability hit. Uh, so when a lot of people use, well, you need six months plus of supply or you need total inventory levels to get to three million or stuff like that, I don't think that implies to this marketplace uh, because of the unique nature uh, of how big the affordability hit was. It's a great point. You know, uh, we also, you mentioned inventory and completions. Let's talk about the completion data and why that is, you know, is, is there any help coming from that sector? Here's, here's one thing for everybody that's listening. If you are a mortgage person or a real estate person, you should be rooting for housing completion data to get better. And, and this is the reason why. Um, we've got 1.7 million units under construction, 910,000 of that are two unit constructions, right? So the faster we get those completed, the more supply that comes in the, in the rental market, the lower the growth, growth rate of rents go, the lower the CPI headline inflation or core inflation falls and the Federal Reserve feels like their job is being done. Uh, it, it was some, like so many things have gone wrong in housing uh, after 2020 because of COVID. And this is just another one where the housing completion data has gone literally nowhere for years. Like if you look at that chart, it just hasn't done anything. And I think a lot of the mistakes that people make, people th see that 1.7 million, they think it's all new homes and you're going to have like 1.7 single family homes come to the market with a 100% cancellation rate. Rookie ball. Okay. That's not how it works. Okay. The new home sales, there's like 461,000 new homes on, uh, that are completed and 80, like whatever, 60,000 of them are actually are, are, are good to go. There's only like less, there's less than one month of supply out there. So there isn't a flood of single family homes that are coming to the market. It doesn't work that way. And hopefully by now that people have seen, right, with this huge demand hit, that the inventory channels are different, right? A lot of people use these strange analogies that we don't have any historical data to go with it. We have one time in history post-1982 where we saw a massive spike in supply, and that was the housing credit bubble bursting, right? Uh, we don't have that here. So now you now you can see it. Now that we're almost in the, uh, Halloween, you can see that even with demand weakness, the inventory channels just move slowly, right? Uh, they don't move in the fashion that we saw from 2005 to 2007 and eight, a different marketplace. Um, so the housing completion data on the side for rent inflation, right? Uh, get those units up, get those units out there, and then the growth rate of rent can fall down and that'll be beneficial because once the Federal Reserve sees that, then they can you know, maybe start to be more accommodative to the housing market. But the housing reset or the recession that they want or that they're forecasting, uh, a lot of that changes when the growth rate of inflation comes down in the labor market turns. And again, housing disproportionately gets uh, uh, impacted for the positive uh, when rates fall because the majority of homeowners and home buyers are always working. Uh, so it's a, it's a different mindset, right? A lot of people think that, well, when jobs when people lose their jobs, uh, housing, home sales are going to collapse. This is the same premise that happened during COVID, right? People thought that about the COVID-19 crisis. They thought, well, uh, 20 to 30 million Americans are unemployed. Nobody's going to buy a house. They neglected, which I till, still to this day, as a functioning human being, I can't, I can't, I can't believe this was the case. They <laughs> literally forgot about the 133 million people working and that those rates benefited them. It was, it was, it was, it was really strange to see this because it wasn't just the trolling, anti-central bank people. There was actually like economist people that were saying, 
They just literally neglected the workforce that would benefit. So think of that going out in, in the next, uh, uh, when rates do fall, if the uh, sixth recession red flags is up, I'm only wait, waiting for the labor market. But again, disproportionately favoring housing always, right? That's part of the housing dilemma that we're in, right? Because uh, whenever things get weaker, rates tend to fall. Uh, we're in a very unique situation with inflation and what the Federal Reserve wants to do with it. But uh, you want completions data for housing starts to, to, to get better. You want more rental units out there. You want uh, the growth rate of rents to fall down. Uh, and then, you know, uh, you, you'll have a more uh, accommodative Fed uh, for the housing market in that sense. That's why I'm rooting for completion data to get better. And no, it has not happened yet. I'm glad you really thread the needle there between what we should expect or or hope for in the rental market and uh, and what we see in the mortgage market, right? Because it can be like, first of all, people often interpret the data. Like you said, they look at the total number and they're like, all these homes are coming for sale, single family homes. Apartments can still be homes, I, I realize. But like, they're like, oh, that's good news. And it would be good news. It, it's not it's not the case, right? Like some of those, like you said, yeah, it's not, it's not the case. And, and, and this is, this has been, this has been an issue for like all year, like actually for like 15, 16 months, uh, people don't realize that that 1.7 million number, 910,000 are multifamily units that does home buyers no good. And then the builders, these homes are under contract, right? So you have to run cancellation rate models on what you think and what active units are and how many day, how many months do they actually need to sell. The builders actually are very efficient in selling their homes. That's why less than three months, those homes that are completed are sold. Uh, they'll, they'll cut prices. They'll do whatever they want. They do not want inventory hangover. So it's it's not what people think. People think uh, inventory is going to go up like two or three million like any month now. It, it just does not work like that. After 2012, we have now 10 years of data and two years where purchase application data really adjusting to population are near all time or at all time lows and the inventory channels work differently. Why? Because people don't sell to be homeless. It's a really interesting concept, especially you hear on Twitter finance or, or they don't sell their homes to rent at a higher cost. And uh, the mortgage rate lockdown premise is something I never believed in is something we have to uh, uh, keep an eye out on for next year. Again, I don't see that as a positive. I know it's first world problems. Homeowners are doing well. They're good. They're still employed. Their families are going to be in the house. But uh, uh, in the case of um, I try to get inventory back to 2019 levels. And remember, the reason I use 2019 levels is I'm totally savagely unhealthy housing market gets off the list because I believe that is a functioning marketplace. We've seen that in the past. I know traditionally inventory levels between two to two and a half million. That's normal. Uh, but I don't even need to get to that level. I just need to get about 1.52 to 1.93. That's why I'm rooting for supply. That's why I'm rooting for inventory. I'm rooting for completions to try to get some balance into this housing market. Because if you're trying to defeat inflation by destroying demand, that means you lost the war already. That means you've done such a terrible job. Unless you have like a massive credit housing sales, which we didn't have, right? And I've always, I've been very critical of the people that say that this is a, this was a FOMO housing market. No, it wasn't, right? Existing home sales in 2020, was only 130,000 more than 2017 levels. You look at the credit demand, especially purchase application data. We went from 300 to 500 in that index uh, from 2002 to 2005. We barely got over 300. Uh, and then COVID hit. So we don't have this credit boom. We don't have this sales boom. And, and it, it, it implies a lot to the new home sales market. New home sales already are, are below the 2000 recession. They're already back in 1996 levels. 
Uh, so it's a it's a much different mar- marketplace because we weren't ever working from a massive sales or credit booth. Okay, let's talk about the macroeconomic factors and what we think. You know, you mentioned the fact that if rental inflation comes down, that's one thing. And uh, Jay Powell's looking at, of course, jobs are the other big thing. What is your prediction on where we are with more rate hikes and where the mortgage rates are going? So the Fed is very clear. They want the Fed funds rate really at four to half percent. So we're almost done. We're almost done with the rate move. I, I don't believe a lot of the stuff they say. I think they're just talking more to Wall Street. So there are inflationary data that's actually been falling. The growth rate has been falling. We see this in used car prices. We see this in uh, uh, the port of Shanghai to, to L.A., uh, th- some of those things are already falling down. Rent inflation, of course, is going to be sticky, uh, um, even though we do see the growth rate falling in a lot of other, other indexes. It's not, you know, we'll start to see the growth rate really slow uh, uh, in January, February of 2023. But by the second half of, of 2023 is when that data line should catch up. Uh, just like when I thought in 2020, where the growth rate of inflation is you know, about to take off because rent inflation is already taking off. The data lagged back then; it's it's lagging now. Uh, th- that'll be beneficial for uh, uh, the economy and everything. But in general, the Fed needs a job loss recession. I mean, they they literally forecasted it next year, and they talk about pain. So we're not there yet. And again, a lot of this is household balance sheets just are good, right? Uh, if anybody just looks at the data with a subjective view that on paper it looks it's always looked good right and, and and i say this that my my contention against stock traders and trolling people on twitter since 2010 every recession premise you guys have brought up has been incorrect the only thing that ever created a recession was a global pandemic and you were bearish mostly the the entire time on that as well so understand that household formation and household balance sheets matter. What you subjectively think of an American family being in stress all the time, if it was the case, you would see it in the data in a more prolific fashion. The reason why consumption is held up, except for housing, is that the household balance sheets still have $2 trillion of excess savings. Uh, uh, the, the payment levels, because of uh, homeowners, uh, their debt payment levels are not that high historically. So it's held up. Everything else looks weak, right? Manufacturing data looks weak. Uh, housing is in a recession. Uh, industrial production is still positive and labor growth is still positive. The growth rate of uh, uh, job openings are falling, right? We've gone for 12 million to 10 million, but the job uh, jobless claims data is hasn't cracked, right? And that's, that's the big one for the Federal Reserve, right? For them to get a job loss recession like they forecasted, they need this index to break over 323,000. So we're not there yet. We're about 100,000. I mean, we, our jobless claims are pretty much at the uh, the lowest levels for, if we take from 1970 to uh, 2019 data. So that's the last thing left here. So and consumption, typically what the Federal Reserve wants is your credit card interests go up high enough, your home equity line, whatever whatever is tied to the short-term rates, your uh, more, rates go up so much that it forces you to spend less and then a growth rate of inflation falls, and then when demand falls, the job loss recession happens. We're kind of just looking at that stage. But uh, again, consumption is held up in that sense, so we're not there yet. But uh, we definitely see – I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't have my six recession red flags up for no reason, right? Uh, this is a back-tested model going back to the ni- late 1960s, uh, and uh, the last time I had it up was in late 2006. Of course, the recession didn't happen. 
until 2008. So there, there can be a lag. Sometimes the lag is very uh, small. Sometimes it's long. So we're, we're just patiently waiting to read the data week to week, especially the consumption data. And of course, the world is in a, you know, recession right now. China is a mess. Uh, Europe is a mess. Japan's a mess. The UK is a mess. The dollar is too strong. It's a global coordinated central bank recession coming in with on top of the war of Russia with the energy crisis and everything. So we have a lot going on right now. But the U.S. balance sheets and those homeowners in America uh, uh, is the kind of the last man standing. And uh, uh, we just got to take, again, uh, one data line at a time. And, and, and recessionary data is not that hard to spot. And we're just waiting for the last two uh, data lines to see when it happens. You know, speaking of China, we saw, we have seen all year, um, definitely some problems in their mortgage market, right? In their housing market, which is much different than ours. It's set up different. It's it's a completely different thing. But um, you and I have been trading uh, Twitter's tweets about uh, different people putting that up going, oh, you know, are Apparently in in China there are a lot of people doing mass protests. They're not going to pay their mortgage. I'm not sure China is a country and, you want to protest. Okay, you know. <laughs> no, I, I don't so, either. So, I, it's it's not a laughing matter. I, I laugh, but no, it, it's I not. Remember I remember mean, when they were a, rushing a one of the banks. Literally, the Chinese government had tanks out in front of the banks. Like didn't take that long. So I'm not sure if a mortgage protest. The one interesting thing with China is that they're cutting uh, lending standards. They're trying to uh, trying to prop up the housing market. One of the things they're trying to do, which is so China, actually, uh, they're telling you to uh, sell your current home and then buy a new one. So they have all this construction and they'll demolish the old home. They'll probably they'll just demolish it, but they want you know people to buy. Um, <clears throat> China is not the economic superpower people think. Their prime age labor force growth peaked in two thousand five or uh, twenty fifteen. They are in a downtrend, just like Japan and just like uh, uh, Europe. Uh, one of the interesting data that you know I've talked about for a, a, a lot during twenty twenty and on is that pregnancy tests were picking up. Right in 2020 and 2021, and now we see birth rates start to pick up. Right, so the whole guess what? Uh, you know, people rent, they date, they mate, they get married. Three and a half years after marriage, they have kids. Pregnancy tests were picking up, so birth rates have been falling uh, uh, for some time now. So we're working off a very low bar. But hey, we have a lot of people in their 30s, and that's the benefit of the U.S. economy compared to other countries. We have a lot of younger people. Our population growth is slowing. Right, our labor market dynamics are struggling in parts of the U.S. that don't have a lot of younger people. Uh, younger people, but in general terms, the millennials and Gen Z together are bigger than the total population in Japan. People still have sex; they still have kids, and guess what? They need bigger shelter at that point if they don't have uh, a, a bigger place uh, already. So uh, uh, we saw that data; it looks perfectly normal to me. But uh, yes, not everyone is a loser. People still have sex. Right. Uh, uh, people still get married. Right. Oh so gosh. it's uh, uh, it's it was a very positive sign. And again, it, we we have that edge over other countries because their prime age growth is falling. It's falling for the rest of the century. There's nothing they could do about it. Uh, if we got more immigration, it could fill the pockets of areas that that lack labor. 
and we'll be okay then. Compared to other places in the U.S., we're fine. The only problem is being the only economic superpower really left, the dollar could get too strong and cause havoc, and that's what we're doing right now. Yes, that birth rate data was really encouraging to anyone in in real estate and in mortgage because yeah, it's been a a pretty rough summer uh, starting back in really May, right? We've we've had a lot of bad news, and so it's like okay, good. Like population's growing, that means that more people are gonna need houses. At least that's a silver lining. It's not an immediate silver lining, but we will take what we can get. The demographic things don't change, right? The millennials are as big as they are. That that doesn't go away. Um, I mean, even with even with the you know COVID deaths and the deaths of, uh, of, of of drug abuse, you know we still have a big young cohort. And you remember when you when we think of housing demand, uh, it, it can't just be first time home buyers. We have to think of move up buyers, move down buyers, cash buyers, investors. So one of the detriments of having mortgage rates go up so fast, uh, which I consider very sloppy, you could have actually had a, a functioning. Uh, marketplace in terms of pricing, cooling, and everything with 4.75 to 5.75 rates and not have people change their behavior. Um, but when you when you lose the new listing data, uh, not only do you lose that inventory, you lose that buyer, right? Because 75 to 82% of uh, home sellers are traditional buyers. So uh, that's a demand hit as well. Uh, uh, and we're going to have existing home sales is, is going to come out tomorrow morning. So um, this, this audio will be before the report. But again, uh, we have to look at that context of not only just is it a housing affordability hit for people trying to buy homes, it's also uh, uh, if new listings are declining, that is a net negative for demand as well on top of inventory. Is there any other silver lining you can think about right now? Uh, just demographics, right? That that for right now, that's that's the that's the stable factor of housing because the affordability issue, you can't say anything uh, positive about that. This is the biggest affordability hit of our lifetimes in, or in recent modern day history. When you have so much home price growth, and hence why the major concern about home prices overheating toward the end of 2020, especially in 2021, but um, nobody really cared that much. Uh, in any case. Uh, when rates do rise, you just have that one-two punch. But some of the inflation data looks like we're getting toward the end, right? Uh, the growth rate cooling down, the Federal Reserve rate hike uh, uh, process uh, coming to a close. Uh, they're just going to sit and wait. And if the economic data gets weaker, especially the labor market, that's why I target that 323,000 jobless claims for a week moving average, not headline. Uh, and, and then we could see maybe a different tone by the Federal Reserve at that point, and also maybe a different tone by just all the global central banks at that point. Again, there's nothing we can do about the Russian situation uh, or supplies or anything like that. Uh, Europe is, is, is dealing the brunt of that uh, crisis right now. But what we what we can control, what we, we know is true, is demographics are fine. Federal Reserve are almost toward the end of the rate hike cycle. The growth rate inflation should cool down in 2023. Supply is getting better in areas. And we do see some of the growth rate of inflation that was really hot, especially in 2021, going into 2022, is cooling down. So those are positives to look for. But as of right now, with 7% plus mortgage rates, you're dealing with a savagely unhealthy housing market. Well, that is a great way to end this segment. We're about out of time anyway. Uh, Logan, as always, thanks for joining us. And we will look forward to hearing from you again in a few days. Pleasure is always mine, Sarah.
How have the 2022 housing market forecast changed? Or how is the industry navigating the shift to a purchase-driven market? HousingWire's premium content program, HW+, answers questions like these and offers a variety of member-exclusive benefits that are tailored to what you need to stay competitive and agile in today's fast-paced market. Go to housingwire.com forward slash membership to join today. With your HW Plus membership, you get access to longer form digital content, the HousingWire magazine, member exclusive rates to in-person events like HousingWire Annual, and more. Thanks for listening to HousingWire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.